This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, welcome back to the program. Still to come, hour two, that's on the horizon. Ryan Leslie from Sportsnet stops by. We will talk about the uh, soon-to-be-made official hiring of Ryan Huska as the next, next head coach of the Calgary Flames. Darren Pang kicks off hour two from the NHL on TNT. Also, analyst for... Chicago Blackhawks on uh, television. That move happening last week, rocking the uh, the NHL broadcast world. In the meantime, always curious about what's happening with uh, the upstart New Jersey Devils. Great season uh, for Lindy Ruff and his crew. A playoff appearance. Uh, more playoff appearances on the horizon. The team has, quote-unquote, taken the turn, and now they're uh, going to start the beginning process here. Maybe the Severson uh, trade was the beginning of that process of putting the finishing touches on what they suspect will be a good team for a long time. Uh, here for comment is uh, one of our favorites to talk to about the New Jersey Devils. He is Ryan Novozinski from the Star Ledger and NJ.com. Ryan, how are you today? Jeff, I'm doing good. It was it was interesting. The the offseason was very quiet uh, in New Jersey, um, and then Friday morning comes, and then you get hit with that you know the second signing trade in NHL history with uh, Damon Severson. So yes. it's been interesting here. Did <laughs> did, did any of that sur- surprise? Like I, I don't think that anyone any any of us who have followed the New Jersey Devils for any time thought that you know Damon Severson was going to return. Uh, I think many of us thought that he was going to end up somewhere in Alberta on on one of the teams. I think we all, to be blunt, I think we all wondered about the Oilers uh, and and Damon Severson. And then the uh, the sign and trade occurs uh, with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, scale of one to ten, how much of a shock was that for you, Ryan? I would say probably a six. Um, and here's why: I I know for a fact that that Fitzgerald, you know, he kind of looked. Um, at, at trading some of the guys, uh, all these pending UFAs the Devils have, you know, maybe try to get some value mm-hmm. for them at the trade deadline, as any you know good GM uh, does. And what he said was that the ownership kind of gave him the green light to, you know, just really uh, go and push for a Stanley Cup there. So that's why he kept a lot of these guys. Now, it comes into a, a, a very, you know, good situation for him where Columbus wants to get better. They obviously are, are stockpiling a lot of guys. And they kind of wanted to be aggressive in, in, in getting some of these UFAs um, and having, you know, the first kind of kind of say at them. So what better way to do it than, than making a signing trade with the Devils? And, you know, the Devils get some good value out of it. You know, third-round pick. They need some draft picks, obviously, after, you know, the Timo trade and, and a couple other deals, too. So they get a deal out of it. Um, of course, yeah, you're, you're always going to be shocked by a sign-in trade. But um, I thought it was a, a really good move for the Devils, you know. I liked Severson a lot, um, but it was almost a luxury thing for them, right? Like they had him on, on their uh, as their third pairing uh, defenseman, and he was seen as as one of the top free agents, uh, if not the top free agent, on the UFA market. So it just, you know, it was kind of the, all the signs were there. I think even Severson would tell you that he he knew that that he pro- this probably wasn't going to, you know, be a long term thing. That he wasn't going to stay in New Jersey forever. Um, and then it all kind of, you know, transpired the other day. So, um, but again, good deal for the Devils, and and obviously the Blue Jackets are getting a heck of a player. Sticking with the uh, with the back end here for the uh, for the New Jersey Devils, Ryan. Um, okay, so Severson is out. Uh, I'm one of those that is skeptical that Ryan Graves returns. You can you're closer to it. You can correct me if you think I'm wrong on that one. Uh, opening the door for you know full time duty for Hughes, full time duty for Nemich. Am I on base or off base? No, I, I think you're. Totally on base, and and here's why I think you know the emergence of Kevin Ball this year too kind of adds a little bit of a yeah. you know a sh- insurance plan for the Devils. There, um, you get a, a really big, really you know crushing kind of bruising uh, uh, left shot defenseman that that you can throw in there. And a lot of people almost forgot mm-hmm. about Ball being part of the core, this young core defenseman, but he's there and he's been on the roster. Um, so I think. Having him on the roster almost makes Graves, unless he signs an absurdly team-friendly deal, which I don't know that he will. Um, I, I just don't think I, I don't really see the use in it. Um, so I'm, I'm with you. I, I think you know the young guys coming in almost they render a lot of these UFAs. I, I don't want to say meaningless, but meaningless to this team right now. You know, because a lot of them are really, really talented. I mean, the Devils have obviously one of the better prospect pools in the NHL. So uh, why not use that? You know. 
They do. They 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 really do. And I think we'll start to see um, a lot of these players uh, sooner than later. Um, let's get to the big two. What what happens here up front? What happens with Brat? What happens with Meyer? I would imagine that Tom Fitzgerald would like to have both in the mix. The only problem is getting there and you know not to cast you know aspersions on on brat and his representation um but it doesn't sound ever like anything is easy <laughs> with uh with, with that camp and good for them they're fighting for their clients but it doesn't sound like <laughs> i mean kind of like roller skating down a gravel road here uh nothing really goes smooth in these uh discussions your thoughts on on the brat situation Listen, yeah, I, I spoke with Brad Camp the other day, and and just the you know, it's almost like the the tone almost switches from you know positive talking about Brad, and and that's great, and and of course you defend your player, but when you ask about the uh, you know just how the negotiations are going, it almost goes to you know monotone, and you know we <laughs> we are talking, they're talking for yep. sure, <laughs> but I don't know how how well that they're progressing there. Um, yeah. yeah, look, I mean, and and there's obviously you know whispers out there now that that uh, they that Brad might you know, opt to go shorter term uh, because he's looking at, at guys, you know, like Severson or, or and some of the other contracts that have been, um, I guess, uh, delved out in the in the past couple of years, you know, and, and saying, hey, like that cap going up. I mean, hey, if we go shorter term here, that could be you, you know, and you're a, a 70 plus point scorer. Um, why not? Um, yep. So, look, I think Fitzgerald obviously wants uh, things to, to go as smoothly as possible. Um, I asked Fitzgerald at his year end press conference, you know, he because he described it before the negotiations negotiations with uh brat's agent he described them as challenging that's the word he used but asked him how he thinks they will be this summer he says yeah. he doesn't anticipate it to be contentious i asked brat's agent the same thing and he says i don't compare each summer's negotiations each year is a new negotiation so i think it's going to be tough um mm. but i i really do think that they can get both of them done it just depends on what the term will be i, I mean i'm more optimistic on timo that they'll be able to ink timo long term i really am what do you think the decimal point is there for someone like Timo Meyer? We know he's got you know the the potential for a big ticket here right out of the gate, but what do you think? Uh, what do you think a deal for Timo Meyer? Uh, who you know I, I, by the end of the uh, playoffs started to turn things around, but was you know less than stunning getting there. Yeah, I, I with Timo though, I think the the value that he could add if he does get it clicking in this devil system, I and mean, we always talk about you know how how perfect it could be and. Yeah, we, we only saw slight uh, glimpses of it, but I think, you know, him getting adjusted and, and really, you know, getting used to the uh, the system in, in New Jersey, I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being, you know, an 8-8 kind of deal. Um, I, I don't think that's crazy at all, especially if you want to lock him up with mm-hmm. this, um, or even 8-7. Um, if you want to lock him, you know, in this uh, young core long-term, um, and, and he definitely gels well in there, I think that's that's one of those you know price points that it's going to be a little higher. He, he definitely had some value even you know with, without the the scoring clip. He's a, obviously another a, another bruising player, a guy that you know definitely turned the physicality on in the playoffs and and got under uh, Igor Shosturkin's mm-hmm. skin a little bit. But um, you know, I, and I think the Devils really like him. I think they're 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 optimistic what they can sell him on New Jersey, and I think he likes it a lot too. I've had discussions with him about that. You know, one of the um, a couple of people that I wonder about here because listen, Brett Brat's going to be a big ticket, um, as you mentioned. Meyer's going to be a big ticket uh, as well, um, and I'm curious about the the goaltending situation. We'll get there in a couple of seconds. Um, but I wonder with these, you know, what, what's the old line? What we gain on the roundabout, we lose on the swings. Uh, if these mm-hmm. guys are coming in at elevated prices here. You know, where, where's the give, you know, who, 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 who ends up finding a different uh, zip code next season? Is it Sharon Govich? Is it McLeod? Like, what do you think happens here, Ryan? Yeah, I think Sharon Govich is, a, is, a, is definitely an, an interesting one there because he didn't have quite the, the scoring year that he would have liked. He was a valuable penalty, penalty killer. Um, but I mean, if you're, if you're entering in an, an RFA year, um, I mean, you got to kind of replicate that same success you had the previous season, right? I, I think he still has that potential to be, you know, 25-plus uh, goals kind of uh, guy, but I just – it wasn't there, obviously, this year. Um, now, you know, with McLeod, I think McLeod, just given the, the playoffs that he had, I, I think that's definitely one of their main priorities. You know, he'll probably get a pay bump there. Um, there's other fringe guys, too, though. Like you mentioned, there's, there's, there's Nathan Bastion. There's, you know, Jesper Boquist. There's guys like that. 
that a lot of these guys do definitely deserve a pay raise, um, but things are, are definitely getting tight there, especially when you know you consider the the two you know big fish on the on the on the uh, on the off season right there for mm-hmm. for Fitzgerald. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised. That, I mean, you look at Sharon Govich. Um, Fitzgerald did mention uh, at, at his press conference. He said, you know, maybe he said exactly that he doesn't have a first round pick this year, but that doesn't mean he, he won't go get one. So. You trade some rights away. You maybe mm-hmm. trade a, a Sharon Govich right away. Uh, I, I don't know, you know, what exactly the value would be on that, but I mean, it could be something—a a, a team that needs kind of that fringe guy that could unlock and, and score 25 plus goals. Maybe, you know, as a surprising thing, but you know, I could definitely see that happening. Um, but there definitely is some give and take there, and especially with the goaltending too. I think I, I, I don't anticipate that that we'll see Mackenzie Blackwood back. Um, in a, in a New Jersey devil sweater. I, I just, I don't anticipate it. I mean, there's too much of a log jam there. And, and especially, you know, now with, uh, with, with the rise of Akira Schmidt, who, who we all like a lot. Right. Um, I think that just sure. kind of, you know, is the nail in the coffin there for McKenzie. Do you, do you think that this, um, I mean, the, the goalie market's a really interesting one here, whether it's Connor Hallebach, whether it's John Gibson, those are the two sort of lead dogs, um, that are emerging. Um, are the New Jersey Devils solid with uh, Akira Schmid and Vitek Vanacek as their two guys? Or, you know, would there be some, you know, hellebuck curiosity in New Jersey? I think there certainly will be. I mean, I don't, I don't see how you can look at what Vanacek has done in the playoffs. I know he had a bigger role this season versus his previous ones, but at the same time, you can't look at that playoff resume that he has and, and really be confident with it, you know, going forward. It's definitely a conversation you're going to have to have. So definitely kicking the tires on Hellebuck. I, I, I think Hellebuck would be a tremendous, tremendous uh, acquisition, but there's also, you know, there's different factors there too. I was actually just writing about this. It's perfect you mentioned this, Jeff, because, um, you know, there's factors like he's probably going to, you know, he's, he's a UFA ne- after next season and he's probably going to want a payday, of course. Um and, you know, you've got guys, too. Like, I mean, next year, uh, Dawson Mercer's an RFA. Akira Schmidt is an RFA. Um, yep. The year after that, Luke Hughes, they're going to have to figure out a contract for Luke Hughes soon. So there's a lot of factors there that, you know, it gives New Jersey, who, who has a you know, tremendous uh, financial flexibility right now, adding a hell of a buck who's, you know, definitely going to want a, a pay increase. It just kind of, you know, squashes that. So I guess it's what you value, right? Like, it's, it, do you value, you know, having that that guy in that to finally end you know what seems like the decades-long new jersey devils goaltending question um but you know i i would say that yeah like you definitely kick the tires on it you weigh those pros and cons to see hey is this team that has mm-hmm. so many great young guys is it really a goaltender away or can we get by with vanacek who had a great regular season and you know maybe through training this summer and and you know just mindset training i guess like we'll get better in the in regards to the, to the postseason, or and, and hey, Schmidt too. I mean, you never know. Could he end up being a uh, you know a full time NHLer, a guy that that looks really good in the playoffs, or does he? I know I remember Mackenzie Blackwood too had a had a really promising start to his career. So we don't know. Um, and I think you know definitely finding an established guy, definitely look around. I would. You know, uh, real quick, Ryan, as I wrap up with you here, just a, a quick thought on the Metropolitan Division itself for next season, and we'll see what the offseason brings and where the balance of power heads and, you know, who goes where. But as it stands right now, I look at the division, and I say to myself, there's only there's only two locks for me here. One is Carolina, the other other New Jersey Devils. After that, I got a ton of question marks about a lot of teams. Maybe the only team that I don't have question marks about are the, uh, is the one that's said, hey, we're rebuilding, and that's the Philadelphia Flyers. You know, check us out in a couple of seasons when uh, when when some of these uh, when some of these green bananas have ripened. Uh, when you look around at the division here, how do you see the Metropolitan heading into next season? I, I think it's exactly like you described it. I mean, in New York, how many question marks are there? I mean, and even you look at Columbus. Obviously, obviously, the team that that made the the Severson deal. Um, you know, is this just a you know a last ditch effort for for a GM who you know. Don't, we don't know. Obviously, I, I don't know for sure, but you know that might be a last kind of ditch effort for him, in you know, to save his job and hey, make maybe make a, a postseason spot. Um, you know, with the with the Rangers too, though, I, I think that's the one that you kind of look at. The, both teams in New York, actually, Rangers and Islanders, as 
And are they at a crossroads? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, obviously questions about, you know, some of their aging stars and how, you know, they perform in the playoffs. Um, and now a head coaching situation in New York where it's, you know, John Hines really just came out of nowhere and, and really because of, of, of a New Jersey devil in, uh, in Andrew Burnett. So, yeah, I, I think it's, it's a lot of schadenfreude. It's a lot of, a lot of chaos in that division. Um, but if you're New Jersey, and especially if you're Carolina too, two teams that are just, just smartly run, I think, um, I, I think you have to look at yourselves and, and look at kind of the, you know, the, the what's going on around you and, and say, Hey, like we're pretty good. We're pretty well off uh, comparatively speaking to where we were. <laughs> Two, uh, two, two, two teams that want to be considered the smartest teams uh, in the NHL, the New Jersey Devils and the Carolina Hurricanes. Ryan, always a pleasure, man. You bring the good stuff. Thanks uh, so much as always. Uh, I suspect I'll check in before this program goes off the air. But uh, in the meantime, enjoy what's, uh, what's happening in the offseason. Enjoy the rest of the Stanley Cup, and maybe we'll see you at the draft. You be well, Ryan. I, I appreciate you, Jeff. Thank you, man. There he is. Uh, we talk to him a lot here when we talk about the New Jersey Devils. He is Ryan Novozinski from Star Ledger and NewJersey.com. Hitting a break, top of the hour. Uh, Darren Pang joins me in a couple of moments. Also, Ryan Leslie helps us tee up the coaching news of the day. In about an hour and a half, it'll be made official. Ryan Huska, next, next head coach of the Calgary Flames. Merrick Show, Sportsnet 360 and across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back in a moment. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, welcome to two, uh, Hour 2 of the program here. Glad to have you aboard. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, Ryan Leslie stops by from Sportsnet covering the Calgary Flames, where the big news today... In about 90 minutes' time, Ryan Huska will be named the new head coach of the Calgary Flames. And I know what you're thinking. So what then becomes of people like Mitch Love? Uh, I do wonder about that as well. I think we look around the uh, the NHL at, uh, at openings on benches, not just necessarily head coaching positions, but assistant coaching positions, whether it's with the New Jersey Devils and just talk to Ryan Novozinski or with the Toronto Maple Leaf with Spencer Carberry heading to Washington. Uh, there are some spots open, but we shall see what happens um, with Mitch Love in the future. In the meantime, uh, in 90 minutes time, Ryan Huska will be named the next head coach of the Calgary Flames. Uh, joining me now for comment on the Stanley Cup final and his life, which has been a little bit of a journey lately, is, uh, is Darren Pang from the NHL on TNT, analyst for the Chicago Blackhawks. Panger, how are you today? I'm doing great, Jeff. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing well. First of all, before we get to the the final, uh, on a personal note, congratulations. I know the decision uh, must not have been easy. I know how much of your heart is in St. Louis uh, and how much that organization, that team meant to you and how much that Stanley Cup run uh, meant to you as well and how proud you were to be part of that broadcast crew. So I know the decision wasn't an easy one, but nonetheless, congratulations on going, I guess, on going home to Chicago, Panger. Yeah, you're you're actually you've described it very well. No, it's uh, um, and I I was I said it was pain it was painstakingly difficult. There's no question. I know what uh, I don't uh, I don't get any kind of ulcers whatsoever by life. But it was one of those uh, you know one of those times in my life where it was very difficult to to make that decision. And I leaned on a lot of good people and and ultimately had to come up with a decision on my own and and, and made that and and you know what what you know what made it. Uh, um, you know, kind of really nice as I reflect on it is, is just the amount of time I spent there and I started my career there and, you know, getting the call from Rocky Wirtz and Danny Wirtz. And uh, I remember like it was yesterday, Rocky calling me and asking if I could take his 12-year-old son, Danny, to a, a rink in uh, Winnetka, Illinois, and teach him how to be a goalie. So, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that, uh, that, <laughs> that, you know, that tie this together. And, um, and it, you know, one side of it's bittersweet, but unbelievable 14 years. I got to know a great yeah. city of St. Louis and, be a part of a championship team that they never had before and really really something else so um but i'm i'm moving forward and we're going to finish up the stanley cup final here on tnt and 
then get get a little bit of a break here in the yep. summertime, Jeff. The, let me ask one more broadcast question quickly, and I'll, I'll pivot to the Stanley Cup final here. Have you thought about what it's going to be like for that first Chicago-St. Louis game? <laughs> no, I haven't, actually. I try not to. Uh, that's, uh, I mean, you know, it's funny. Cause we're, we're just, the, you know, we're just the broadcasters, you know, we're not, you know, we're not the players and I've, I've watched enough players return that choke me up, uh, between the benches. When I watch them return, I swear to, I swear that I can't talk on the air. I'm crying. Um, so I'm sure, uh, I'm going to be in a, uh, a situation like that for sure. And it's going to be a, a hard yeah. one emotionally probably to be a part of for sure. I mean, for sure. I mean, Let's face it. I'm, I'm going to keep a place in St. Louis. I got two little granddaughters that live right there. I got a country club that I play with a lot of great buddies that are there and, and certainly friends that I've been with. So it's not a, it's not a goodbye, but of course on the broadcast side, it, it, it will certainly, you know, be that way. And yeah, it'll be uh mm. wow. And now you got me thinking again, Jeff. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> don't want to, don't want to ruin you before game five here. Hold on. Let's get this thing back on track. But yeah, that's going to be a, that's going to be a real, uh, a real special night, I think, for everybody, and of course, most profoundly, you. Uh, okay, so where are you at in advance of Game Five? Because, with all due respect to the Florida Panthers in Game Three, uh, I think we look at that and say, great effort. You know, there was the extra day uh, rest that everybody had, and the extra day really that the Florida Panthers had to hear how they had no business being in the series, and they turned around and they won the game. And in game three to, to, to make it a series. But the way that Vegas is playing and the way that the Florida Panthers seem, and this is led by uh, Matthew Kachuk, seem really banged up here. This is a very tall order for the Panthers. How do you see game five? Yeah. Well, I see the same thing you see. I, I mean, they're hanging by a thread. They've, they've played their hearts out and their guts out to get to this spot. Um, but at this particular point, there's clearly one team that that is that is sharper in its execution and the way they're playing and their health in their four lines and their checking line and and their top players um have a lot left in the tank uh including that top line of Barbashev, eichel and uh and jonathan marcheso so um this for me i mean this is a, a, an opportunity for vegas to to uh really pounce on on a team that has done so well and and it you know, like i said i mean they're banged up they're hurting um, the, at the same time, yeah. I would never take I would never take them for granted ever. They I've watched enough playoff series with the Florida Panthers. Even if it's three one with five minutes to go, you don't take them for granted. You've got to score the next goal because they yep. hang around like no team that I have seen in a long time. So, um, but if, for me, I mean, the overwhelmingly favorite team uh, going into this is uh, going into the final and winning it on the home ice would be the Vegas Golden Knights. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in, in a lot of ways, and, and you referenced that 2019 St. Louis Blues team a couple of seconds ago, and that's what that's what in a lot of ways makes that Stanley Cup even more profound. You know, we've seen underdog teams get there, get to the Stanley Cup final, whether it was, I don't know, the Nashville Predators, whether it was the San Jose Sharks, teams that, teams that got there, but by the time they got there, man, playoff hockey in, in the NHL is such a grind that three rounds really, really does take it out of you. It's so rare for that underdog story to finish and for that story to be completed. That's what makes St. Louis, to me, really remarkable and uh, how they were able to do that. And this is why maybe there are no Cinderella stories in the Stanley Cup playoffs because winning four rounds of hockey is really, really hard the way that it's, uh, it's played at the NHL level. Do you think this is as much of a comment on, uh, on the NHL itself that it's so it, it's one thing to get there and it's a completely other thing to actually win this thing as an underdog? Well, and it just takes so much luck along the way. And it also takes great depth. I mean, that's why general managers load up yep. at the deadline. And, you know, you fire up a 7-8 defenseman or an 8th or ninth defenseman. You never know where you may have to go. I mean, look at the Florida Panthers. Not, I mean, a, a, not a, a, a whole lot of depth. I mean, even to put uh, other players on that fourth line, even when Louis Duranen went down in the last series, you know, he, he has not played a game here in the final, and they desperately need him, but there's nobody that can come in and replace him. Um, and that's, that's what you need this time of year if you're going to go four rounds. And, and also, you mentioned St. Louis. I mean, they were, yeah, were they banged up? Yes, but they were healthy, banged up. You know, they, they could throw another two defensemen at you if they needed two defensemen. They could no, throw another. I thought the Blues had another four players that could easily jump into that fourth-line role. And so, the, yeah, the, 
I mean, there were some similarities between Florida and, and St. Louis probably late in the year. High expectations to begin the year didn't meet those expectations. The Blues probably caught fire earlier than Florida because they hung on, and if not for a loss by Pittsburgh, they're not even in this thing. So, But the, the resilience mm. is what I'm impressed with with, with Florida. The, the fact that they just don't know how to go away. Um, I, I haven't been impressed with some of the lack of discipline and some of the things that have happened at the end of games or in, in losing games, I, I don't think it sends the right message. Um, but when it comes to talking hockey in the Florida Panthers, I've been really impressed with their, their wherewithal during hockey games. So, but all that being said, uh, the best defensive unit for me is on Vegas, the long sticks. Um, Aiden Hill is coming up with timely saves, even though he doesn't match the resume of, of Bobrovsky. And their forwards are all healthy. And that's the, that's the difference right now for me. And I think they've got yeah. a coach. I spent some time with Bruce Cassidy uh, prior to game number four in Florida. And, and, uh, you know, he's been there and done that before. And, boy, they thought they were going to lock it up in game seven on home ice and and lost the Stanley Cup. I mean, he's got experience here. And I think he knows that it's important to finish Mm -hmm. this off and not go back to Florida. Yeah, absolutely. And and two players on his team you would know uh, better than most, and that's Alex Petrangelo and, and Ivan Barbashev. And we've talked about sometimes the deal, the, the smaller deals you make at deadline uh, are the ones that really put you over the top. And Barbashev has been full of value, um, and he has been that guy, that tweak at the deadline that really puts you over the top. And of all the players that were moved around deadline, uh, he leads them in points in the playoffs, no surprise. Uh, your thoughts on Barbashev, having known him from St. Louis, and your thoughts on Petrangelo, who really, by the way, had an outstanding season. And I don't know how many Norris ballots he's going to be on, but I think there's going to be a lot of Norris shame and embarrassment when all the votes come out at how a lot of people didn't have Petrangelo on the ballot, but he had a great season. Uh, your thoughts on, on these two players, Alex Petrangelo and Ivan Barbashev? Well, I'll start with, uh, start with uh, Alex because he's, he's, uh, he's under the radar all the time, but then in the last minute of the game, he's out there on the ice and, uh, you know, killing a penalty or being on the power play, he's out there on the ice. Or five-on-five going up against the other teams, he's on the ice. So I was always disappointed, quite frankly, even in the St. Louis days, that he didn't get more recognition. Now, he was a two-time second-team All-Star at the end of the year, which is quite – like, that's quite impressive as well. But I I think he he deserves more than that. So I'll say that right off the hop. And I'll always say this about Petro, is that when the fire is at its hottest, he's the coolest cucumber in the barn. And he just is. That's just the way he's made up of – like. He was getting ready in the third period to go on the ice. I'm in the hallway uh, because that's what I do for TNT. I'm kind of, you know, whatever reports I give. And I was waiting on a Jack Eichel update. And as the players are kind of hunched over in their crouch and, and waiting for the other players to walk from the locker room to the, to the, uh, to the ice surface, all I hear is, is Alex Petrangelo yelling, let's go, Panger, let's go. You know, here he is getting ready for team <laughs> four. And there's, you know, that's just the way he is. And, uh, you know, he's, he, he, anyway, so I agree with you on all counts in, in what you're saying. And the other part about Barbashev is, and I, I said it enough times coming up to the deadline. Number one, I was, I was, I was surprised that, you know, that he wasn't going to continue in St. Louis. But when I found out that he sold his house and uh, he sold his house early, he knew that they couldn't come up with a deal, obviously conversations with Doug Armstrong. Mm-hmm. So Army, you know, made that decision to, okay, let's get our assets for him. And they got Zach Dean uh, prospect. Uh, but Barbie does everything. Yep. He's a Swiss Army knife. I mean, and, and, and he hits like a truck. And he's not the biggest guy in the world, but his timing is impeccable when he hits somebody. And so I, I will guarantee you this in Game 5, he will be on a mission. And if he gets to eliminate one more head of the snake uh, at any point on the Florida Panthers just to take away their will, he will be the one that's going to do it. I guarantee you that. Well, and you've already seen, you know, Radko Gudis a couple of times, you know, go out of his way and I would argue out of position as well to try to chase him after that hit. Um, after that hit early in yeah, the that series, doesn't work. That he's you know he's already he's 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 already become a target um, for the Florida Panthers here. Okay, got to ask about the goaltender. Have to ask about Aiden Hill, and you know, just as an aside on uh, on on media day in, in Vegas last week. Um, had a chance to talk to Aiden Hell, and we were talking about, you know, superstitions and routines and all these things. And one of the things he said is, uh, and this is interesting, he said, 
I never nap before a game. I don't nap in the afternoon, he said. I've, I've never been a nap guy. Uh, I tried it once, and it was a game this year against Anaheim, and he said, I was awful. I was terrible. I got pulled, and I said, okay, that's it. Uh, I tried it. It's not for me. No naps for this guy. So the one thing we know about Aiden Hill is he does not nap. The other thing we know about Aiden Hill is he's a contender, much like uh, Eichel, much like Marcheseau, much like Petrangelo for the Conn Smythe Trophy, should Vegas wrap this thing up. Your thoughts on Aiden Hill so far? Uh, yeah, I've, I've, you know, I've gotten to know him a little bit. And through, um, you know, th- actually through Ty Gretzky, uh, he, we did a, a segment in the last game on the pregame show how Aiden Hill's youngest brother, Garrison, was in the Gretzky Hockey School. And so uh, Aiden decided he was going to put on the skates and worked eight-hour days just to help out. And uh, it shows you a little bit about the way, the, you know, the way he is and the, the kind of, human being he is as well but he um for, i mean for me personally i i don't think playing half the playoffs gets you the cons might i mean it's still it's still a four four series award not just a, a one series even though he made the save of the of the final so i'm i'm going to leave him out on my ballot and i don't get to vote on it um i'll put the big boys that have played all the minutes and that would be marcia so eichel and petrangelo uh, you know over the goaltender and that's just me and that's just because those guys have played every single minute of every single game. Uh, but um, I'm really impressed with Aiden's, you know, ability to, I don't know, he stays focused. He's got a little bit of angst in him. I think the players enjoy that. I think they enjoy it when he throws a blocker or, or gets in the face of somebody. Um, he is a big, yeah. strong guy, and he doesn't take any, he doesn't take crap when they're going into his crease. And I like that. So I've, I've been I've been you know impressed with that part of the game, and I think he's galvanized this team. So, but the the scary part is maybe the goaltenders aren't going to get paid the big money anymore. Teams are going to sign seven guys that make eight hundred thousand dollars a year and take their chances. And this might be a bad <laughs> precedent for the rest of the goaltenders that think they're going to get eight million dollars a year. <laughs> they're out of luck now. It, it was. It, it was funny. There was that moment uh, in, in one of the games where Bobrovsky got pulled and we're like, okay, well, just as we all imagined, beginning of the season, there's Aiden Hill against Alex Lyon for the Stanley Cup, just as everybody predicted at the at the beginning of the season. Uh, yeah, one, one, thing, one thing to versus, end on. Uh, one thing to, huh? the 2010, 2010, Chicago and Philadelphia. That's, absolutely. That's what it is. You know, yeah. it doesn't really, it Which, doesn't uh, really uh, create a lot of interest like a Marty Brodeur versus a Dominic Hasek or whatever, or Patrick Wall versus Marty, but you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. What are you going to do? Let let me end on this one. What did you make of the extracurriculars at the end of game four, whether it was Montour running at McNabb, whether it was uh, Kachuk um, manhandling Alex Petrangelo, who had just been let out of the penalty box. What did you make of what we saw after the buzzer? Well, I mean, number one, the game ended. And, and so people that think that Alex Petrangelo was guilty of something, whistle and he gets allowed no. out. He actually skated yeah. very slowly to that. He wanted no part of it. Alex Petrangelo was not that kind of guy. And you could, you could see it. Like even when, even when Matthew Kachuk's got his stick wrapped around his neck and he's pulling him, Alex still didn't drop his stick or his gloves. So maybe that was intelligence yeah. on his part, showing everybody, like, that's not me. I didn't instigate any of this, you know, or... or but, uh, you know, frustrations because they had a chance to tie it, although the clock did wind down. That wouldn't have counted anyway yeah. with, with, that, with that shot. But at the end, I didn't think it looked great on the league or the Panthers at the very end. Um, games, games the game you lost. You had a last whack at it. It didn't go in the net. Hill made a great save. Whistle blows. Horn blows. Let's get out of Dodge. Instead, the rats come pouring on again, and, and you get all that stuff. Yeah. I, I just... I, I, we're in the Stanley Cup final, you know. I think, I think there's still a a level of, uh, of you know, of sportsmanship, and uh, you know. So I, I anyway, I didn't think that was enjoyable. I know many of the players. Cause I was in the hallway of the Vegas Golden Knights, and they were they weren't impressed with it as well. But uh, they're on the winning side, so they're not the frustrated team. Panthers have laid it all out. They're the frustrated team right now, and it yeah. shows. Three to one. Uh, the Vegas Golden Knights look to close out tomorrow at uh, T-Mobile Arena as the uh, the Vegas Golden Knights look to win the Stanley Cup in their sixth year of operation. Stunning. Uh, Panger, again, congrats on the Blackhawks move, and uh, good luck tomorrow. That place is going to be loud and crazy early. It's Vegas, Panger. Enjoy it tomorrow, my friend. 
I'll get my Elvis wig and I'll be uh, I'll be out in the middle of it. <laughs> get the Elvis wig and uh, the high collars and the glasses and Viva Las Vegas. Here we go. The great Darren Pang from the NHL on TNT uh, analyst for the Chicago Blackhawks. You'll see him next season for the uh, uh, working for the team that uh, that brought him into the NHL to begin with. Um, on that, we'll uh, we'll mention bottom of the hour. Ryan Leslie from Sportsnet stops by. We'll talk about the news of the day. That is Ryan Huska being named head coach of the Calgary Flames uh, and what that means and not just what that means for the Calgary Flames or what that means for Ryan Huska, but what that means for, you know, other candidates. And the one that I think a lot of us have circled uh, is Mitch Love, uh, who's head coach with the Wranglers, uh, coach of the year a couple times, the American Hockey League has both uh, piled up wins and and helped develop players as well. And listen, one, one quick note as we are... Um, just mentioning the American Hockey League, something happening right now in the AHL, which we we may see show up in the NHL this offseason. Now, the American Hockey League are down to two teams at the American Hockey League, the Calder Cup Final. It is the Hershey Bears, um, who are the oldest uh, franchise in the AHL, facing off against the Coachella Valley Firebirds, who are the youngest franchise in the American Hockey League. Coachella Valley, in their first year of operation, are the AHL affiliate for the Seattle Kraken. Now, in games one and two, um, they're both shutouts uh, by the Firebirds and specifically Joey Decord. Now, Joey Decord is a netminder who's, uh, who's worked his way up from uh, the ECHL uh, to a, a few games in the, uh, in the NHL, the Ottawa Senators organization, into the Seattle Kraken organization. And I think we wondered about, you know, waivers at the beginning of the season. Um, with their goaltending situation, he cleared and he's down at Coachella Valley um, and he had a wonderful season. Uh, Joey Decord had a tremendous season with the Coachella Valley, having an even better playoff and has just posted back-to-back shutouts to open up the Calder Cup final. Now, that hasn't happened since 1939 uh, and a gentleman by the name of Mo Roberts, Morris Roberts, uh, who was a goaltender who played briefly in the NHL. Actually, he holds a couple of records. One, he holds a record for the longest stint in between games in the NHL. He had a, his, his last game was in 1925-26 season with Boston and then didn't play again till 1951. By then, he had retired and was a trainer and came out of retirement for a game for the Chicago Blackhawks. Now, interesting, by suiting up for that game, he became the oldest goaltender to suit up in the history of the NHL. Lester Patrick, when he famously came out of the stands uh, for New York, was 44 years old. Uh, David Ayers um, with uh, with uh, the Carolina Hurricanes, who worked for the Maple Leafs organization, was 42 uh, but Mo Roberts was 45 in 1951 and suited up for Chicago and became the oldest goaltender to ever play in the NHL. Now, Chris Chelios and Gordie Howe were older when they finished their playing days in the uh, National Hockey League. But as far as goaltenders go, Mo Roberts was it, uh, the oldest goaltender ever in the history of the league. Meanwhile, that is a sort of side tour. So the last time a goaltender opened up the Calder Cup final with uh, back-to-back shutouts, was Mo Roberts with the Cleveland Barons. That was 1939. Joey Decora just did that with Coachella Valley, the Firebirds. And because he's a group six, which means he has not accrued uh, a suitable amount of games to remain a restricted free agent, Joey Decord's a UFA. And as much as we look at the goaltending market and we'll focus on the big names because they're the big, sexy names that everybody knows about. And the goalie market starts with Connor Hallibuck and goes to John Gibson with Anaheim and goes to, you know, some of the free agents, you know, the pair in Carolina, uh, Tristan Jari, Jonas Corposalo, these types of names. Don't be surprised if very deftly, some general manager out there has a look at Joey Decord and says, I wonder if now he's ready for the NHL. And he's that next American Hockey League goaltender. He's 26, so he's not, you know, 22 years old. We're not talking about, you know, a, a super young uh, goaltender here. Uh, 26 still has a lot of uh, games to play. I wonder if at the end of all of this, there is a uh, there is a really nice contract for Joey Decord somewhere 
in the NHL. Uh, as we bring on Matt Marchese, our producer here in advance of Ryan Leslie at the bottom of the hour on the Calgary Flames situation. Matty, how are you today, pal? I'm good. Okay, so I got to add something to this, to this Mo Roberts thing. Um, Is it going to be about golf? No, no, Because no, no, everybody no, no. that no, I no. follow on Twitter yesterday was all tweeting about the Canadian Open. That was the that was one of the greatest finishes to a sporting event I've ever seen. But that's not what that's not where we're at. Have you so you talk about Lester Patrick being forty four when he suited up for the Rangers yeah. in that playoff game? Have you looked yeah. at the picture of Lester Patrick when he was in net at forty four? Yeah, he looked you like he was seven, me. looked like he was yeah. seventy four. Yes, <laughs> and I'm looking at this going like, well, you know holy what? smokes! Okay. Dude, one of my favorite things to do is go back and look at um, go back and look at hockey cards from the early '70s, or like right through the '70s, really, uh, before the helmeted era. So you had a really good look at uh, at, at all, all the players and what they looked like. Um, someone who like who was like a. a uh, a, a, a second pairing defenseman with like the Atlanta Flames, who looks like you know he's a, he's he's balding. He's got the Friar Tuck look going. He looks about thirty five pounds overweight um, for for playing in the NHL. And then you look at the back of the hockey card, and he's like you know like 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 twenty eight years old. And you say to yourself like. I remember growing up and thinking that, like, you know, 50 must might have, must have been 90. Like, wow, 50, holy smokes, how are you still on the right side of the grass? Like, oh, you must have, you know, uh, one foot in the grave and one foot on a banana peel. Oh, he's whistling by the graveyard. And now you look at, now you look at athletes, and for that age, they look really young. Like, do you know the phenomenon that I'm thinking about here? Like, you look at hockey players in the, in the, the 70s and even early 80s, and when it says that they're 30 years old, they look like they're 60 years old. Now, like even just look at like look at you know shots, cutaway shots in the Stanley Cup final of Roberto Luongo, for example. Um, if you were playing in the 70s, you probably would have looked a lot different, don't you think? Well, I'll tell you the moment that I did that I did that, and yes, I did when I was a kid think that 50 was so incredibly old, and I'm closer to 50 than I am Thanks. to. 20 so um so i know the feeling uh but i yeah. i look at i look so what the one that got that was the eye opener for me had nothing it there's a loose tie-in to sports here but it was from okay. cheers do you know where i'm going with this who someone who was young but looked really old on yes. cheers yes there's a sports oh, tie-in i love that show well, I mean, sports tie-ins all over Cheers, you know. Um, Ted Danson coach. was supposed to be a Boston Red Sox pitcher. Ernie Pansuso, coach, was a, a, a baseball coach who yes. uh, whose distinction was he could get hit by any pitch. Um, I don't know. What's the tie-in? That it, it was coach. Because when he started on when he when he eventually finished on that show, I believe he was sixty-one or sixty-two years old, and he ended up How passing old was away. He when he started because he looked. He looked old when he started. Yeah, so I'm I'm just like he uh, 84 was Cheers, so he would have been 60 years old when he started with Cheers, and that so he looks so much older than that. Th- this is what I'm saying. So then it just for whatever reason I think I may have been on like Instagram or something, and a video popped up, and it showed all of the ages of everyone in Cheers when they started in 1984. Yeah. And the one that got me was um, Kelsey Grammer playing Frasier Crane was 29 years old when that show started. He was and not. I, yes. He looked like he was 55. He had the Friar yes. Tuck going too. Yes. The Ryan yes. Getzlaff. <laughs> so it totally Pretty blew my Ryan mind. Getzlaff. Yeah, like George George Went was the same age as me, thirty four, when he started on that show. George Went was thirty four when he started. Yeah, it's crazy, right? So I know that's when I saw the Lester Patrick. The Lester Patrick thing is so far to the other side, though, because he had like a, a basically a full head of gray yeah. hair. I'm not that far away. I get that, but yeah, he did. He but. Like he looked like he was seventy years old. I could have swore he was seventy years old based on that picture. <laughs> like if you didn't know his age, that's don't, what you would have said. Yeah, don't shoot too hard on Lester. It might break him. <laughs> uh, do you have a thought on what we saw on uh, on on Saturday? Whether it was the extracurriculars afterwards? Oh, and by the way, 
I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't get on, you know, hockey fans are being hysterical because you love it around the playoffs. But did you find that the reaction to Alex Petrangelo being let out of the box at the end of the game, a little over the top, considering all he did was sort of coast into Alex Barkov and put a hand on his shoulder? And yeah, everyone's that, like, it, oh, he's got to be suspended. It's at least a game. No, the record said the rule book says 10 games. He's got to be gone. Like, I understand that people aren't, well, specifically Edmonton fans of, of Alex Petrangelo these days, but wasn't that reaction a little bit over the top for someone who didn't do anything other than got let out of the penalty box? I'm very unsurprised by the reaction of people because everybody just goes off the handle because they want to be the person to say hey you know what you're right you're right about that but it was he the game is over what's he supposed to do stay in the box is that is that what he's supposed to do no he didn't do anything and then matthew kachuk went after him and that was the part that whole skirmish at the end like even sam bennett trying to jump william carlson i mean it didn't work out in his favor but to didn't work me, out well <laughs> no to me i was just kind of I was kind of annoyed because the game's over. You had your chance. It honestly seemed like they were a bunch of sucks. And I don't know what message you think it's going to send going into the next game, but it hasn't worked to this point in the series. You are not intimidating Vegas. They're not going to come. They're not going to come out uh, tomorrow night and be all petrified of the big, bad Florida Panthers after what they did to them at the end of the game. Yeah. So I feel like that, like that one was lost on me. And listen, Vegas, mm -hmm. I know that game I know that game got close at the end, but you know, you talk about the depth, you talk about how they just don't look as hurt as Florida. And I'm sure they're hurting, but their depth is just coming through in in waves and you look at, you know, the success that Eichel has had playing at an elite level, Marsha so the same, uh Barber, like if you go all through that lineup, you know, it's funny because the guy we haven't talked a ton about in this series has been Mark Stone and talk about playing hurt I'm pretty sure Mark Stone great. is not healthy. He's been unreal. Uh, he's been unreal. Marcheseau has been great. Petrangelo has been great. Hill has been great. Uh, Eichel has been great. For me, he's, and again, I don't have a vote on this one. Um, I do in the regular season for the awards, but not for um, uh, not for Conn Smythe. Um, if I did have a vote, it would still be Jack Eichel. Uh, that's, that it, would, it would still be Eichel for me. I can... I can understand Marcia so as I can understand Stone, as I can understand Petrangelo. Uh, I would still um, uh, disagree with with Darren Pang, who who would who wouldn't say Aiden Hill uh, because he hasn't played the the entire four rounds. But still, nonetheless, I think a lot of um, what Vegas has been able to do here is on the back of of Aiden Hill. Uh, do you have a favorite, Maddie? Uh, Eichel's my guy for the Con Smythe if it ends tomorrow. What about you? I still, I lean, I, and I know Eichel and even Marsha so have been great. I lean Aiden Hill. I really do. And the especially because he came in cold, like he, he was not expected to do anything. He's the, he's, you know, the, the fourth string goalie, as it were. And not a lot was expected of Aiden Hill. And he's, he's got a 2.11 goals against. And then I think it's a 9.31 save percentage. Last time I checked, that's pretty good. And it's not pretty as good. if he's getting like 18 shots a night. He's getting, you know, 30, 32. He's been great. Yeah. You know, this is a team of, and they still have that misfit identity as well. These are all players that came from somewhere else. This isn't a draft and develop team. Either are the, the Florida Panthers, although there's still, you know, three or four guys that were drafted and, and, and came through the Panthers uh, system here. Um, but we think of those that identified and helped bring them in. And for Aiden Hill, you know who that guy is? Craig Cunningham. Craig Cunningham, whose career was cut short playing in the American Hockey League. He's a pro scout for the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, you know, San Jose, Arizona. That's all sort of his area uh, to cover as, as a scout for the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, he's the guy, I'm told. He's the one that would have, and he would have briefly overlapped with Hill in Tucson uh, with the Roadrunners, I believe, for like half a season. Um, but I'm told that Craig Cunningham was the guy who sort of identified and lobbied for the uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights to bring him in. So always good to to big up the ones behind the scenes. And Maddie, you and I have share the same love for scouts and think that they are the uh, the backbone and the lifeblood of this industry. So any chance you get to big someone up when you see Aiden Hill, 
uh, doing what Aiden Hill is doing right now, spend a little bit of time thinking about Craig Cunningham, uh, who was the one who lobbied and ended up ultimately uh, helping to bring him in. Uh, Kelly McCrimmon, of course, with the ultimate decision as general manager, but scouts are huge. Craig Cunningham with Aiden Hill. All right, uh, let's hit a break here. When we come back, Ryan Leslie from Sportsnet. Today, the official unveiling of Ryan Huska as the new head coach of the Calgary Flames. What does this mean for the organization? What does this mean for some of the veteran players? What does this mean for some of the younger players? And what does this mean for Mitch Love? We were all wondering if this was going to be like, uh, again, it turned out to be an an internal hire, uh, but we wondered if Craig Conroy was going to go down to the American Hockey League affiliate for their next head coach. So what happens next with Mitch Love? All these questions with Ryan Leslie as the show continues across the Sportsnet radio network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet Now. Merrick Show, back in a moment. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Just uh, reading about some of the uh, the layoffs at the Athletic. Uh, Hope that everybody affected by today's cuts finds employment quickly. Too many of these dark days in this industry. Welcome back to the program. Um, the Calgary Flames, in uh, in just under an hour, are poised to announce their next head coach. It is Ryan Huska. Um, to no to no one's real surprise, he was considered one of the leading candidates from pretty much the get go. Uh, here for comment uh, from Sportsnet is our friend Ryan Leslie. Ryan, how are you today, pal? Mr. Merrick, it is great to be with you. I'm doing well. How about you? Uh, I'm doing great. Um, I, I do want to ask you about a couple of different things here. I do want to get to Mitch Love and, and this side of all of it and some of the uh, the other candidates uh, that weren't successful. But but up first, Ryan Huska. So I was mentioning this to Elliot earlier. It, it's tough for me to look at this hiring and not think this is a real shot in the arm for some of the younger players in the organizations, Coronado, Pelche, uh, Dustin Wolf, et cetera. How do you look at this hiring? You know, I think that's that's a, a very fair statement, Jeff, and I think it kind of echoes what you heard from Craig Conroy when he was announced as the new general manager. Young players have a place here. They have an opportunity here. Uh, we will see how it all shakes down, but just to know that the mindset is that it's a lot more open than under the uh, past regime, of the head coach um it it is it's refreshing Uh, i think it's legit Um, you know ryan huska has a fantastic track record um everywhere he's gone and you could talk about the memorial cups which i know you know and maybe even even discussed on this program so this guy's got a pretty impressive record from uh from the junior ranks into the american league where he you know i don't think you look at records so much there but you look at just kind of what he was doing for development um, the relationships he has, uh, not a lot of ego there. Very, very easygoing yet firm, open-minded communicator, like that good teacher you want to go and, and impress. And I think he's done a really impressive job to this point. So doesn't surprise me that that's uh, maybe the mindset. Uh, it's consistent with what we've heard uh, from the general manager. And now it's going to be in place uh, with uh, with Ryan Huska announced here in under an hour. Jeez. Yeah. How much do you look at this as being, I don't know, is, is pendulum swing uh, too, too, too strong of, a, of an analogy here from Daryl Sutter to, to Ryan Huska? Like, how do you look at like the, 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 the choice from, from one to the other here? I know that you know, pendulums overcorrect before they find balance. You look at, do you kind of look at this as, as a wild overcorrection or just a, a subtle overcorrection? Well, I mean, it's a wild, uh, you know, they're polar opposites in terms of who they are and how they coach and or at least how they communicate and how they conduct themselves. They're polar opposites, but uh, at least at the rink. Um, but I will say that I don't know if it's an over, you know, I don't know if it's an over swing or anything like that. I don't know if that was the intent. I think this was a, you know, Craig Conroy was an internal hire. Ryan Husk is an, inter- an internal hire. And, there's nothing wrong uh, with that, as we all love to know that the, you're getting recognized for the work you're doing within. And this was about changing as much culture as they could have, and they've done so. And 
You know, it's impressive just to see uh, now just the how the air has lifted. Uh, it's not as heavy around here, and um, don't take my word for it. You know, speak to some of the players who were likely on their way out, and now they are. You know, you're starting to see uh, that become a little bit more of a of an opportunity to re-sign those players, some good key players with big names, and it was starting to look awfully scary here for a little bit. But now I think it's like okay. Let's settle in here. Everybody's got a new job to do, and uh, and then kind of you know address the players. You, you had the combine, you got the draft, you've got free agency, and you've got new faces. So it feels, to a degree, I don't want to say like a completely new thing, Jeff, because there's still a lot of familiarity in this yeah. part. This is not like everybody got torched and now there's uh, you know. A whole new group. There is a lot of familiarity from Chris Snow and Brad Pascal to uh, Craig Conroy to, you know, uh, Ryan Huska. I'll be curious to see who he names as his assistants. Um, so that'll that'll be fascinating. But but definitely there is a lot of uh, new with some familiarity. What, what do you think happens to to Mitch Love through all of this, uh, Brian? I, th- I think that this was this was one of the names, and the, the, you know, uh, uh, he was one of the people that we are wondering about uh, having a legitimate shot at this position, considering there's little, if anything, he has left to prove at the American Hockey League level. And listen, I, I know the word fair doesn't exist in not just in sports, but in life. Like I, I hate the word. I encourage my kids to to ignore it. But what happens here now with uh, with Mitch Love? Yeah, I, that's a great question, and I, I'm not sure. And maybe you have an answer. I should probably know this, but uh, I think he still has one more year under contract. He's got term. Yeah, he's got term. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, you know, there's that. Um, does he get a look at this level as an assistant? Does he sort of say, "All right, look, I didn't get the job. I think I'm ready for it and go elsewhere." Uh, time's going to tell, but certainly it's it's a talented coach and highly coveted and. Uh, you know, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a, a clear-cut answer at this point, Jeff. But uh, and maybe there is with mm-hmm. uh, the love camp. But um, you know, I think there's uh, there's some good candidates. Uh, obviously, uh, Huska has a good relationship with a lot of people, and it wouldn't surprise me if Mitch Love gives a long, hard consideration to you know the National Hockey League level as an associate assistant what have you. I'm really fascinated to see if they hire somebody, um, you know, with a lot of experience, an older coach with, you know, some experience to sort of say, Hey, I'll I'll come in as an assistant and help in this area and that area. Um, So we'll see, hopefully we get some answers here today, but uh, Mm -hmm. you know, today's obviously a good day for Ryan Huska. Who's, uh, who's earned it on a lot of levels. And I think there's a lot of people really, really happy for him. I think so too. Uh, absolutely. You know, as, as, uh, you know, um, I, I know it's tough for someone like Mitch Love and I, I, I do, I'll, I'll tell you what, like just to get the tongues wagging, I, I wonder about Toronto, you know, Brad Living is a general manager. Spencer Carberry has moved from, uh, you know, beside Sheldon Keefe to the Washington Capitals as their new head coach. I, I wonder if there's a fit there, but you know, that's a good, you know, uh, Monday, Monday, uh, late morning, early afternoon talk radio topic. But you're right. This is this is a great day for for Huska here. And I, I do wonder, you know, just sort of maybe off the off the Huska page and onto the Conroy page here. Mm-hmm. Now that the coach is installed, like what are what are some of the first orders of business you think for Conroy? Like the the first conversations you know, Elliot reported about Noah Hannafin and the interest uh, around the NHL with him. There are a lot of players on this Flames team on an expiring contract uh what do you think conroy's first order of business will be here well i think his first order is that he's got all kinds of uh you know relationships with those guys who are who are pending free agents uh in a year and his first order of business are the likes of noah hannafin elias lindholm uh, michael backland what do you do with a tyler Toffoli? so there's question marks there's some big names there's some talented players and there's a really good relationship between general manager and those players. So I think that's where it starts, and uh, we will see where it ends. But, you know, he's got he's to lock down some of those players. He's got to figure out who he wants going forward and to avoid situations where we see players walking for nothing. So we'll see how it all pans out, Jeff, but that is priority number one. And You know, interesting, you mentioned Brad, you're living. I've had some 
conversations with him and just how it's going over there. And, you know, he's, he's making a splash with a couple of, uh, with a couple of moves already with the idea that, uh, uh, you know, you bring in Shane Doan and, you know, the conversations between, uh, Austin Matthews agent, uh, are, are positive. Uh, he has a great rapport with Judd as well. So, um, there's a lot of yep. encouragement for, for Leaf fans as well as, uh, you know, relationships are key in this business, as you know, and, uh, between what mm-hmm. Conroy's got to do and what uh, true living has to do. There's some, again, some familiarity with, uh, those challenges, but the boy, oh boy, those are two good guys with good relationships with a lot of players. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, listen, Ryan, on that, we'll let you go. It's a busy afternoon for you. Press conference coming up in about 45 minutes time. Ryan Huskin named the, uh, the next head coach of the Calgary Flames. You be well, my friend. Good to hear your voice again. You too, pal. Thanks for having me. There he is, uh, Ryan Leslie, covering the Calgary Flames for Sportsnet. Ryan Huskaday, uh, new head coach of the Calgary Flames. Uh, so that conversation will continue as we bring in Matt Marchese uh, for, the, uh, for the end of the program here. You know, I'll tell you what, there's, um, uh, there, there's a couple of players on this Calgary Flames team. And listen, part of you know Ryan Huska's job is going to be get that Jonathan Huberto we saw in Florida back um, uh, and, and playing at the level he was playing at when Brad Treliving made that deal. Uh, I don't think he's going anywhere. I don't think Nazem Kadri is is going anywhere. I, I do wonder about a couple of the centers. Like I wonder about Lindholm specifically. And I wonder about Lindholm and a team like the Boston Bruins. And, you know, back when, when Lindholm was drafted, um, the Boston Bruins had, I know it's a different regime and it's a number of years ago, but it's not as if that organization uh, hasn't been interested in Lindholm previous. And they have a couple of centers here that we, you know, whose future we wonder about, uh, Patrice Bergeron and, and David Krejci. Uh, so I, I do wonder about Lindholm and a team like the Boston Bruins, uh, unless he wants to resign. And if he does, um, it's going to be a very healthy bump up from his $4.8 uh, million a season salary because here's someone over the past little while has demonstrated he's one of the best two-way forwards in the NHL. Your thoughts on on what you're looking at here uh, with Huska coming in, so that bit of business is done by Conroy. Now Conroy can really have a look at the lineup and start to make some of his decisions. When you look at the Flames, Maddie, what do you think the first decision or some of the first decisions should be here? Well, I look at, I mean, they're going to have to make a decision in net. That's another conversation that we're going to have. Not that I think that that's the most pressing, but Dan Vladar was was decent last year. We know... We know that Jace, we had Jacob Markstrom had his struggles, but there were points where you're like, ah, maybe. But they're going to have to make a decision on Markstrom or Vladar. I would assume it's Vladar, but hey, I could be wrong. But I look at that. I look at that defense, and you've got four defensemen, th- three of which are are regulars that are UFAs after this season. When you look at Hannafin, when you look at Tanev, when you look at Sadorov, like they have to make. They are, for my money, outside of. Toronto and Winnipeg, the most interesting teams this offseason. Because mm-hmm. I, I, the Lindholm point that you made is, is poignant. Uh, the other one that maybe, just maybe, uh, might be interested is, oh, I don't know, the Carolina Hurricanes, possibly, potentially. Um, that, that would be For an Lindholm? interesting one. Yeah. Back, back to Carolina? Mm-hmm. Hey, we know that they have a hard time scoring goals. Uh, they do, uh, absolutely. And he's a center and I would suspect that they're looking for some help down the middle. Uh, Uh okay. We'll, we'll table that one. I'll, I'll, I'll still stay warm to the Bruins, but that's okay. Carolina makes some, some sense. I know going back is sometimes awkward and sometimes tricky, but nonetheless. And I just, uh, that's the big one up front because I feel like to fully, probably is one of those guys that stays but it's the back end for me like i i think there's i think there's a a lot of value for a guy like chris tanev and he plays those hard minutes that you need in the playoffs he's at a friendly number of 4.5 million granted there is just the one year left but for teams that are maybe kind of on the fringes that are looking for 
that, you know, four defenseman that kills penalties. He's nasty. He blocks shots. God knows he blocks a lot of shots. He gets it. He puts everything mm. in front of it. That's a guy that you, you know, you talk about the big defense in, in Vegas. That's the perfect type of guy that you can bring in for, for one year that really helps your back end. I like both the Tanev boys. Uh, I love what Brandon does in, in Seattle, and they're a much different team when he's healthy and in the lineup than when he's not. Uh, but as far as Chris Tanev goes, it's almost to the point where you don't want to you don't want him to play that style for 82 games because you want to have him as healthy as possible for the playoffs. Like if you're planning on having any type of run, do you really want Chris Tanev? This is going to sound weird. Do you really want Chris Tanev playing like Chris Tanev on game number fifty-eight on a on a on a Tuesday night and in a, in a road rink? No. Or do you say to yourself, you know what? Yeah, exactly. You're. We love it. It's all great. Love the way you play, but let's start to manage how we play so you're healthy for the postseason. Or is that not even a consideration for Chris Tanev because he only knows how to play one way? I would imagine for Chris Tanev, you say. Uh, this is the only way that I know how to play. And this is the way that I'm going to play. And the organization would say, that's great, but we'd really like you to be healthy for the playoffs. The Noah Hannafin situation is interesting too. You know, really good skating uh, defenseman, um, has at times uh, been, you know, part of one of the best pairs in the NHL. That could be an interesting, I mean, I, I mentioned to Elliot, you know, if you just want to corner the market on the 2015 top three defensemen in the draft, by way of order, you send them to Columbus and then Mike Babcock can finally have one of all three defensemen that he wanted at that draft, whether it was Wierenski or Provorov or the, the aforementioned Noah Hannafin. So uh, that'll be a curious one as well. But uh, coming up in 30 minutes for our listeners in Calgary, uh, Ryan Huska will be named the next head coach in Calgary uh, with the Flames. That unveiling coming up in about 30 minutes time. Uh, thanks to all of our guests. Ryan Leslie from Sportsnet, Darren Pang from the NHL on TNT, and Blackhawks analyst. Ryan Novozinski from Star Ledger and NJ.com uh, covering off the New Jersey Devils and what's going to happen there with your Timo Myers uh, and with your Jesper Bratz as well. Elliot Friedman, who checked in from Vegas on what's happening with the New York Rangers. And he is, as of right now, warm to Peter Laviolette as the next head coach of the New York Rangers. Uh, thanks to Matt Marchese, Lance Kennedy, and Jen Rolnick for keeping this thing on the tracks. Uh, no game tonight. Not even a Blue Jays game. The opening up against the Orioles tomorrow. So enjoy whatever you're choosing to do this evening, sports or otherwise. This show's back on the air in 22 hours. It's the Merrick Show across the Sportsnet Radio Network.